again, I'd like to welcome back uh, uh, for his second appearance here, Doug Cortina, and we welcome him back. I want to thank everybody for having me back again this week. Uh, this uh, week's scripture reading comes to us from Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. It probably takes some time to find it in your uh, Bibles because it's an obscure book that tends to get neglected, but it's one of my favorites. I, I actually apologize. I read personally from the ESV, but I know you guys go from the NIV, and I noticed uh, this morning that I unintentionally picked the uh, translation I normally go with, but I checked, and it's very similar. So if you would follow along with me today. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what is its use? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. And how to lay hold on folly, so I might see what was good for the children of man to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and had many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Uh, today's sermon is entitled The Wisdom of the World. And I want to sort of stop there and preference, preface it with saying that the world, uh, often I hear uh, Christians sometimes, and when I was younger in my faith, uh, you think a lot of the times as world as a negative concept. Now, if you remember last week's passage, uh, Psalm 8, uh, creation is good, it is a gift of God, it is to be enjoyed, uh, and we are to take pleasure in it. So I just want to preference today's sermon and, and think that world is a good concept, uh, if you think in John's gospel, he uses the world a lot, but he's never using it in a negative concept. It's more of a positive. Um, and when he uses the phrase, don't follow the world, it's got a different meaning than I think we normally uh, believe. So in our age in the United States, we are obsessed with pleasure. Uh, the avenue which this is communicated is through television, uh, radio, or any other type of social media. Uh, and I think that the type of pleasure, uh, there was a crux in the 80s. I kind of grew up in the 80s, and I think a lot of my childhood was more of a traditional type of American life. But as we kind of progressed into the 90s and television became more prevalent, uh, radio, commercial, life just became more commercialized. And if you think 
a lot of what commercials entail to us is all about pleasure. They want us to get to think that uh, there's this grand experience that we have never uh, experienced before, and if we don't, our life will never be fulfilled. Um, that is just something that you see all the time on the radio and on television. Uh, I read a study in the 90s that, that stated the average American household spent five hours a day with the television on, and I can only imagine that that's actually gone up. So we're just bombarded with these advertisement schemes all the time. You've never experienced this vacation that I probably honestly never will, uh, and going to all these luxurious different types of places. Uh, there's also products that we're bombarded with that we need, and if you can think of phones, there's the, the Galaxy always comes out with a new phone every six months. Uh, same thing with the iPhone. It seems to be uh, real prevalent that we, there's always these new type of iPhones coming out. I don't have a very nice phone. I have a Metro PCS. I'm kind of cheap. I don't need a good phone to feel pleasure. Um, I also even know that my sister, for example, has some type of leasing program where you can actually get the new iPhone every single time it comes out. So it's built into this type of pleasure concept that you can get the new iPhone every single year if you want or whenever they release their new product. So the question is always framed around through these avenues is how much stuff can I acquire? You're just seeking pleasure just for pleasure's sake, nothing else. I believe pleasure is the dominant theme throughout our culture currently, um, and this is why I think Ecclesiastes is such a good uh, book for us to read. It's kind of obscure. It can get neglected in uh, the biblical canon in our Old Testament. Other books tend to get favored over it, but I think Ecclesiastes, as we go into this culture that's so obsessed with pleasure and gratitude right now that it can really speak wisdom into our lives. Uh, Something interesting to keep in mind when you're reading through Ecclesiastes is the uh, term that is often used that defines the book is Havel, which means vanity, worthless, or empty. I tend to favor the translation uh, vanity or worthless. Uh, everything is vanity. You keep reading it. Solomon keeps repeating it over and over and over. Vanity of vanities. He sounds like a high school kid that doesn't like his life, that's just like, oh, life stinks, I can't find anything great. But he uses this word, vanity or worthless. I think uh, this word, or what he's trying to do, is capture the disparity of life. If God does not exist, uh, life is full of disparity. I believe Ecclesiastes is a book that can offer a remedy for disparity in all of life if we ever feel it, and the wisdom that it speaks to us comes from God, and it's not the wisdom of the world. I personally see this play itself out in the workplace. Um, sitting in my cubicle, I kind of have an entry-level position until I become a pastor. You often hear uh, coworkers kind of complaining and grumbling about life. And if I could just be out on a beach and then sit back and relax, just like Eric did. Uh, if I could just be at the beach and sit back and relax, life would be so great. But I got some news for everybody. Um, Sarah and I in Mexico lived at the beach around a retirement community. And what did the people normally do that complained at work? They thought that retirement life stunk too. So they kind of had this vanity of life. They thought, oh, if I could just get to uh, retirement in the beach, I'll really enjoy life. And lo and behold, they just continued to do what they always did and complain and grumble. And there was a lot of disparity that came from the comments that they made. So I believe uh, Solomon will give the remedy for this situation, but we may not like it. The simple axiom that he gives at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes is, 
fear God and keep his commandments. And just kind of stick that in the back of your mind if you go through and you read Ecclesiastes this week. Fear God and keep his commandments. So uh, for those of you who have a Bible, if you'd follow along for me as we work through today's text. Uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Solomon, if you kind of think back again to last week, uh, typically in the Old Testament you'll get a, a statement, a verse or two, that will actually end up explaining what's coming uh, behind it. It's like a summary statement. We had that last week, and we actually have that again this week. So one verses 1 through 2 are really a summary statement for what is going to follow through th- verses 3 through 11. And I'll go ahead and read through it again. I said in my heart, come now, and I want to pause there. What Solomon is stating within all of my heart is when he's going to go on this luxurious pleasure adventure that he has, this great um, pleasure-seeking thing that he's going to do. Uh, he's saying that he's going to do it in all of his heart. It's not simply that he's intellectually believing that he's going to go off and do this adventure. He's The, the word in my heart is capturing his whole being. He, not only is he going to go off and seek all of this pleasure, but he's going to do it with his whole being. He's going to do it hardcore, and he's going to see if he can accomplish what he's setting out. He states, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold... This was also vanity, so that's the key word for both today's passage and the whole entire text, the book of Ecclesiastes. And he said, of, of vanity, I said, laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So it's really just a summary statement of what is going to follow uh, throughout the text. Verse 3, I search my heart now <clears throat> to cheer my body with wine. My heart is still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of men to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. So what's going on in verse 3 is Solomon is stating he's going to find alcohol, he's going to go out, uh, and he's going to see like a lot of other people do in life if alcohol will fulfill him. And he finds out that it's madness and non-pleasurable uh, and doesn't really accomplish much and says that it's actually worthless. Uh, and now if you go through the long list of summaries, kind of reads of a, a who, who's who with verses 4 through 11, uh, Solomon will state, I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. And I, I think kind of what's going on here is he's going to lift a bunch of accomplishments that he did, and he's going to say, if you think that you can do it better with the pleasurable experience, I did it much better than you could. And I still think he has a one-up on the Kardashians and all the other people, all the celebrities out there that think they got the great life. I think Solomon is still speaking to us today and saying, if you think that you can do it great and grand, as we saw through the readings in Kings, Solomon's going to say, I did it better than you. Uh, He built houses. That's not house in singular. That's plural. So he had multiple houses. Uh, And he planted vineyards for himself. And I think the vineyard simply refers back to verse 3. He's stating that he had the... uh, luxury of going out and getting the good drink and he was he had access to the best wine i don't like wine myself but he was able to get it uh, and use it to test wine and see that if it would bring about pleasure Uh, he also states that he made gardens and parks and planted them and and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees and I, i think possibly what was going on is behind his palace he he had a type of luxurious garden that he could walk through and enjoy I think the Vatican, I was trying to think through this this week, and the Vatican, I think, still has a garden behind it because it's more of an ancient building, and the Pope can walk through it if he likes. So you kind of think he builds his palace. He has this beautiful garden that he can stroll through and enjoy himself while he's walking through it. 
I also think it's possible that he had what we today in the modern world would be a state park. So if you're a king uh, and you brought another king in to kind of strike a deal or whatever, uh, often they would go on these hunting trips or fishing or whatever. So it would be quite awesome if you're a Solomon to uh, have a state park at your fingertips, have stocked game, and go out and shoot uh, the best that you could and have a great meal afterwards. Uh, He also had male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in his house. So he had all kinds of servants to uh, wait on him hand and foot. Um, Most of us don't have that, uh, and we should not have our wife or our husband be our slave either, so that's not good. But Solomon had access to all these type of servants. Uh, He also had possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before him in Jerusalem. Uh, He also gathered as much silver and gold in all the treasures of kings. And we saw that in uh, the first king's passage today that he had, well, apparently silver wasn't good enough for him. He could only have gold. So he had all the gold and the world at his fingertips uh, to be able to buy uh, anything that he would wish. Now, if you work your way down to verse 9, we see that what's quite amazing is his wisdom, which is what he asked God for, still remains with him. Uh, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. So he did work, he did earn it, and he enjoyed it. But if you see in verse 11, he states, Then I considered all my hands what had done and the toil that I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to do under the sun. And I I also want to skip back to the uh, part of the singer's uh, part and kind of playing off of the television in the beginning. um, You had this entertainment going on. And I think even just with television, we're kind of these mini Solomons now, I would argue. We have access to be able to travel uh, around the world. And I was thinking about this recently. We've gone to, if anybody's ever been to the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon before, it's up at the top of the state. It's a really pretty place. But what's interesting is a lot of the, this is probably a place where my grandparents and my parents would have gone on vacation. But with the way the economy's grown in the world and we've become more globalized, uh, you can afford now, if you're middle class, to fly to all these, you could fly to, Playa del Carmen, Mexico, where my wife and I lived, and you get to go to these great beaches and stuff for a fairly inexpensive price to what it used to be. So when you go to a place like the Pennsylvania Grand Canyon, you see a lot of a local economies shut down because nobody goes there anymore. But if we're these type of mini Solomons, we can afford now to, if we save, maybe for a year or two, three, we can afford to go to places that my grandparents would have never imagined being able to go to. I remember when they went to Europe as a kid, it was a very foreign thing. Nobody had done it, but now a lot of kids in my age that went to college and et cetera, uh, they've been to Europe themselves. Um, also, uh, with television, if you think of it, it's a form of entertainment. Uh, entertainment used to be very expensive. Only rich people would go downtown in Pittsburgh to see the shows. But with the advent of television, we have access to all these great shows and theater uh, brought to the common man. So the masses can actually watch television. Most people have television at their house or can actually afford it. This is something that up until recently wasn't able to be afforded. You'd have to spend a lot of your hard-earned money to go downtown to watch a show. Um, so so uh, how does this uh, work itself out? How does Solomon's wisdom apply to our lives today uh, in the here and now? 
And I think the first point is taken from verse 1 through 2, pleasure is not bad. Uh, It appears from reading today's text, and I want to think back to last week's text too, uh, about the pleasure concept of creation, taking delight and enjoying it. It appears from reading today's text that pleasure is the problem in the first place. However, I don't think that is the case. The problem is that what our pleasure is oriented towards. God created us as pleasure-seeking beings. But a lot of the problem is it's what our pleasure is oriented towards. Um, And here uh, you can think of St. Augustine. uh, When he became a Christian, he utters the famous prayer, our hearts are restless till we find our rest in thee. So we'll just be restless and restless and restless because we're seeking pleasure in creation instead of the creator, if you think to Romans chapter 1. So the problem is that pleasure is, if it's oriented to just pleasure's sake, it becomes madness. Uh, You give yourself over to the pleasure-seeking event, and you just keep doing it over and over and over again. And I actually think that's why Solomon says at the end today, um, back into verse 11, that it's madness and it's like striving after the wind. Now, excuse me. Now, I want us to pause here and to think how much of our, uh, our lives are or oriented towards pleasure for pleasure's sake. Probably a lot. I, I think uh, sometimes when throughout my internship at my local church, uh, if you're, and this goes for Sarah and I too and watching television, a lot of times you'll ask somebody like, I know everybody works a hard week, and you say, hey, would you do something for me at the church? And people are like, oh, I'm busy. But really they're... Uh, probably giving an excuse to kind of sit back and be pleasurable and sit back on their couch. I did it this week. I had a elder that wanted me at my local church to teach Sunday school next week. And my first thought was going to, I really don't want to like be working on it during lunch. I just kind of want to sit back and relax, take my lunch break, talk to my dad during my lunch break or, or something like that. So I actually found myself doing the thing that, uh, I don't want to do. So, uh, How much do we watch television instead of of our Bibles or praying or being involved at our local church? Or if your pastor or your elder or a deacon comes to you and say, have you really been engaged with God's word lately? A lot of our excuses are oriented to uh, things that we find as pleasurable. We're just entertainment-seeking beings right now because of what we're bombarded with. Uh, I think these things in life uh, that our hearts should take most pleasure in is not entertainment for entertainment's sake. How often are we asked to do things in our church and we just rather be home relaxing, kicking back, and watching television? I'm right there with you. Uh, Worshiping God is not something that comes natural to us because we're sinful fallen beings and we uh, look inward instead of outward to God to get our pleasure and our fulfillment from. So how do we orient our pleasure to the right source, to God? I believe it can be done through a few things. First, uh, and I often do this when I wake up in the morning. I don't feel like praying when I wake up in the morning because, again, praying doesn't come natural to us. We're fallen human beings. I say, Lord, uh, my affections are not inclined towards you. Um, Help me. Uh, I do not take pleasure in the things that I ought to. Please help me desire to pray more, uh, to study your scriptures more and to serve your church more. I think that that one's a little bit key. Often we forget the serving church part. I also believe uh, doing things when we don't feel like it can help us achieve this as well. It can help us desire God more. So the best example I can think about is if uh, going through the motions sometimes isn't a bad thing. 
So uh, I would never stop telling my wife I love her, even though I might not feel it at the time. She'd probably get very angry with me if I, if I didn't feel like it, if I just refrained from saying I love you for a week. That would not be a good thing. So I think when we go through the motions of praying, uh, reading our Bibles, that's a good thing. And it's reor- reorienting what we love and we take pleasure in towards God. So think of it, point number one, pleasure is not bad, but our pleasure has to be directed to God. And I think uh, even going back to the hymn this morning, uh, as the deer pants for uh, water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. It was taken from that verse. I think that's how our pleasure is supposed to be oriented towards. It's to be oriented towards God. Uh, Point number two, uh, and I'm taking this from two, three, uh, don't live for the temporal, live for the eternal. Christians should not live for the temporal. Paul states, uh, and I think this is play on verse uh, 2-3. Um, also, a lot of ancients said this, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is found in 1 Corinthians 15-32. Uh, this statement sounds a lot like this verse, or what if you don't find pleasure, ultimate fulfillment, uh, Paul saying, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Now, Paul's using that specifically about the resurrection of Christ. Uh, if Christ has not raised from the dead, uh, then Life is meaningless, essentially. He's saying, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, This statement sounds a lot like today's passage. Uh, However, since Jesus has been raised from the dead, it changes everything. Live for the eternal and not the temporal. Uh, I can think of Jesus' word. uh, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be given to you. Again, kind of playing off uh, point number one. uh, Seek the eternal things in life, not the temporal things. And that means that uh, for pleasure-seeking people like ourselves, we might have to deny ourselves, too, if we're to have an eternal perspective on things. Um, Jesus says a popular statement, or a statement that won't be popular, uh, take up your cross and follow after me. That's what being a Christian is all about. It's denying yourself in order for the advancement of God's kingdom. So again, live for the, don't live for the temp- temporal, live for the eternal. Um, our lives are our pleasure seeking is always to be Christ centered. He is supposed to be the heartbeat in the center of our lives. Uh, point number three, and I'm taking this from verses four through eleven. Don't chase after the wind. And uh, if you go onto YouTube, there's a famous writer that I liked a lot. He was not a Christian, but uh, he had sage-like mentality. He wrote nonfiction. His name was in fiction. His name was David Foster Wallace. My wife is probably tired of hearing about David Foster Wallace. I like a lot of his stuff. He's a really interesting guy. Um, A lot of his nonfiction work, he wrote a lot of uh, essays about uh, one, well, the the collection of essays I have is a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, and it's his story about going on a cruise line, and the thing is he writes about it and actually says it's a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. But uh, David Foster Wallace... uh, wrote extensively, he wouldn't say this, but I would say this, about chasing after the wind. And uh, he has an interesting interview with uh, Charlie Rose. You could go onto uh, YouTube and watch it. It's like six minutes. And he starts talking about uh, pleasure-seeking in the United States. And David Foster Wallace was a privileged man. Uh, He grew up in an upper-middle-class family. Uh, His dad was a philosophy department, or a philosophy, head of the philosophy department at the University of Illinois. And his mom taught at a uh, um, community college and actually won Professor of the Year. So he had this great family that he grew up with. 
Um, he had, they had, they did well with money. Uh, and he said he grew up with television. Uh, he wrote an, a funny essay about how he found himself watching 10 hours of television a day. He became addicted to it. And he, he talks about this pleasure factor in it. And what he comes to on this uh, interview is he states that all this stuff is designed to make us feel good, but at the end of the day, it just makes us feel more despair. Um, we just, they keep telling us that we have to have all these great things. We achieve them, and then we feel despair afterwards. And he stated that a lot of American life, if it boils down to this, he said that it was sad. Uh, and ultimately, unfortunately, uh, David Foster Wallace took his life because he felt a lot of despair throughout life. Um, he was not a Christian. However, uh, he did spend a lot of his time around uh, Christians. He spent a lot of time with Anabaptists and would go to their services and spend a lot of time with them. Um, so what does this all mean? All the television advertisements, endless entertainment opportunities that we have, and all the other stuff should be seen for what it is, chasing after the wind and the wisdom of the world. If you believe these things will complete or fulfill you, uh, you're wrong. You will just feel more despair and move on to the next thing. So how can we combat chasing after the wind? I actually believe fasting could be a great avenue for this. So if you find yourself watching uh, television a lot, uh, we try to do it in our household. Uh, cut it down to about an hour a day. Uh, and then it'll help you to pick what shows you want to watch uh, and then kind of just move on to the things that are eternal and not temporal. Television itself is not, again, a bad thing. It's just what it is uh, geared towards. What are you, how are you using your time? Or maybe uh, you devote too much time to sports. I think that's an idol that uh, it could be chasing after the wind around here. A lot of people will not show up to things or not uh, love their neighbor or serve them well because they want to watch the Pirates or the Steelers game. God forget, I speak against the Steelers here in western Pennsylvania. Um, so this was my idol as a kid. I played baseball throughout high school and played one year in college. Um, and everything was centered in my life around baseball. And baseball came into my life and reared its ugly head. I found out that it wasn't, what it, it wasn't, a, it wasn't God. It didn't give me all this pleasure that God uh, gave me to seek after. It could only be found in him. So uh, it kind of came crashing down. Then I got called into the ministry, so it worked out well. But uh, I centered my life around sports, not God. So in conclusion, the purpose statement at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, once again, is fear God and keep his commandments. I believe if we live by this short and simple principle, we will live lives of completeness. This also means that we're going to live lives of simplicity. Uh, which maybe a lot of us don't like to hear. We're not going to go out and do all these heroic and great things. If we live uh, by the wisdom of Scripture, uh, we'll live simple lives, and that's truly what is heroic in life. I truly believe that. I'm a, a localist. I believe uh, the mundane and boring things in life are truly where the heroic uh, resides, not in the grand luxury, uh, the things that Solomon went to embark on. Um, and the great thing, I think, in the New Testament is he talks about gifting of, of the believers. I call it the, uh, it's, you can ha live an extraordinarily ordinary life. So if we are gifted with these uh, extraordinary gifts, they can only become extraordinary if we use it with other people in our churches. So if somebody like your pastor has the gift of preaching, somebody else has the gift of prayer, uh, on and on and on, but it only be, the church only becomes extraordinary when everybody uses their gifts 
uh, in unison towards the glory of God. So again, we have to be extraordinarily ordinary. Uh, and I think this idea could shape Christians' lives. And once again, heroics is found living a life that fears God and keeps his commandments. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Father, thank you for this uh, excellent two weeks being able to serve here at Bethel. Um, I pray that both passages, not just today's passage, would penetrate our hearts uh, and minds and that we, you would re renovate our lives to reflect uh, chasing after you more. I pray that each and every one of us would not uh, seek the futile things in life but live for the eternal and uh, know that you are the true source of joy and pleasure that our hearts were made for. And only when they are oriented towards you can we find our rest and relaxation. In Jesus' name, amen.